Good morning again, Cross Point Downtown. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor, and so so glad to be here with you today. And uh, wanted to take a moment. Um, yesterday, as you all know, uh, likely uh, there has been um, an uproar and outcry on social media, and uh, also in our world, um, that we see that there is uh, we're no longer living in a post-racial. We've never lived in a post-racial culture. Um, And I think there's something that we have to acknowledge today, because today we're going to talk about the the wedding of the bridegroom and the bride, that Jesus Christ is the beloved prince that saves this princess, the church, that Jesus is the king who declares the radiant beauty of his bride to be that which is so far beautiful, so beyond beautiful. Uh, the comparison of any other beauty and that Jesus Christ has made her beautiful. And, and, and I want us to, to, to think through the oneness of Christ and his church. That the church is one. And so when I interpret the events of what happened yesterday, I do so through the oneness of Christ. I do throw, so through the lens of my friends who... I know we'll be looking at this news differently than me. And I do so with grace, mercy, and compassion. And I do so as well with frustration, even anger, to say, why does the world have to be this way? That there are people in this world that look down upon others because of the color of their skin. I texted to my friend Brandon, who was a part of this congregation until just a few weeks ago, moved up to L.A. He's a dear brother of mine. And I texted, I said, hey, I want to know, I want you to know I love you, brother. I'm thankful that skin color makes you, you, and me, me. I'm thankful that we can celebrate that. I'm praying for the day where we won't have to see these images of evil on our screens ever again, and that this would be soon for our country, that we would see it in our lifetime. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. I'm sorry you have to see this. You, you know, I, I, I know Brandon, and I know his wife Tracy, and Brandon and Tracy, I know, are watching this screen with tears, and their kids are next to them wondering, what's going on? Why are mommy and daddy upset? And there is a great deal of empathy that I have to enter into that pain because the pain isn't just for what was on display in Charlottesville yesterday, but from a history in America that has to continually be repented of and that racism is a sin of injustice that needs to be reconciled to Christ for His redeemed grace, by His redeemed grace. And so, there is no place of Racism within Christianity. There's just no place for it. There is no consolation in that. But there is grace that calls the sinner to repentance and calls those who have been hurt to healing at the foot of the cross. Because I believe at the foot of the cross, there's a level ground 
where nobody has room to boast in anything, skin color especially. No one has room to boast. And so today we boast in the bridegroom who has saved us from the pits of hell and redeemed even our hearts that look at others as less than. And so uh, in that, I want to remind us of Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. You're one in Christ Jesus. We come as one body under one Lord with one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is in all and through all. Let's pray. Father, right now I come and I realize that there's a whole wellspring of emotions in all of us. That even as I spoke uh, what I just spoke, Lord, I know that it, it, it brings up a lot of different things in our lives, in our pasts, in our present. But Lord, we do believe in the unity of your Holy Spirit. We do believe that we should call sin, sin, injustice, injustice, but we could also preach your grace and do so unapologetically. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us to oneness today. That, Holy Spirit, you would move in such a way that we are united on this through the blood of Christ. Not by any other ideal, not by any other way of thought, but by the gospel, the word of God that preaches salvation, that leaves no regret, Lord. We come to you, God, by faith, asking for oneness. In Jesus' name, church says, amen. Amen. So the psalm today is on marriage, and marriage is really uh, something that's very delicate. We all have different views of, of marriage because we all have different experiences of marriage. But the Bible here shows us this, this picture that's actually so beautiful, so glorious, that we could look to and we could seek to to yearn for and long for and say, I want that marriage. Now, now let, let me say this to say that if you're married, it's, it's a good thing to see that marriage and say, I want that marriage. And even if you're single, it's a good thing to see that marriage and say, I want that marriage. Even if you should be given the gift of singleness or celibacy, it's okay. We're not here to decry marriage as this spectacular thing for, for a, a gift above all gifts for those who are married. It is a good gift that God has given us and one that should be celebrated, but singleness is a good gift as well. But the Bible does say that all will be married in Jesus Christ. If you believe and love Jesus Christ, you will be married and you may not be given over to another man or woman in this lifetime here on earth, but you will be presented before the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and be declared holy and righteous before him, that he would be the one that your affections always turn to, where your gaze never leaves. And so we're going to glean much from this in in light of our, our own marriages or the marriages that we've seen, but we're also going to glean much from this in saying that that marriage is more than the human picture that we see it. Marriage is supernatural. And marriage is a picture of the splendor of God's grace. So I I brought a a picture. I'm going to do a little show and tell here. So 
My wife didn't know I was doing this till this morning. She's in kids ministry, by the way. How convenient. Um, but uh, this is this is our our wedding day picture. Isn't it good? There's a sunset there, and and man, Carrie is just way better than I deserve. I mean, she is. Every day I wake up, and and I I I. I just have to pinch myself because she is so far beyond me. Like, it's just a miracle of grace that I get to be married to her. And I have never looked better than then in my life. Since then, (laughs) since then I've just gained the pounds and I've lost the hair. So I'm gaining it here and I'm losing it here. And, And my eyebrows are a lot thicker too. So, and they're thick there too. So anyway, um, you know, Everybody's wedding day is 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 like just the best day in terms of there. It seems like nothing goes wrong on that day. You know, I'm sure there's little issues that go this way or that way, but but the wedding day it, it feels like this is the way it should be all the time. But in reality, when when you go to stand before the altar, before God and His people, and the church that presides over that ceremony. You're saying I do, and you're saying that it's probably going to get a lot worse from here. Right? And if you don't realize that, well, sign up for marriage counseling in maybe 90 days. Maybe 30 days. Because it's difficult. Marriage is hard. But marriage is a picture that points to an even bigger and better picture. And the picture that marriage points to is the perfect marriage. You you see that we have imperfect marriages that are only going to point to something more perfect than us. And so we have to acknowledge the imperfection of our hearts in marriage. You see, the problem with marriage isn't marriage, but the problem with marriage is the human heart. We, We don't get rid of marriage because marriage causes failures, but we... We, we look into the human heart and we see how is God using this to knit me more completely into his image. So, so I say that with great empathy because I know that, that some of us here in the room have gone through brokenness in marriage. Some of us have gone through divorce. In some cases, I've walked you through those difficulties. And I know those heartbreaks run deep and are hard But I do say that God wants to restore for you the picture, maybe not of your marriage, but of his marriage. To say, this is the marriage that God has always intended for you before the foundations of the world. And so marriage is not meant to replace Christ. It's meant to reveal Christ. Marriage is not meant to replace Christ. Your spouse cannot be Jesus to you. Setting them up to be Jesus for you or your Savior is to set them up to be a failure and for your marriage to be a failure. But if you would see your marriage, if you would, if you're single, help marriages, be a part of marriages that reveal Jesus and how he heals the broken human heart through a husband and a wife when they're committed to him. You know, I've had these pictures of marriages that I've been able to watch just even in Cross Point downtown. I've witnessed three marriages. One, my, my friends Dylan and Ashley. Dylan and Ashley in here? 
uh, somewhere there. There you go. Yeah. Uh, David and Vanessa and Eduardo and Natalia, you guys are just conveniently right there. You're in the line of fire today, right there. I am. And, and you, in all three of these marriages, one of the things that I, I got to watch is three couples that says, I've got stuff. I've got junk in my life. I want to be committed to God. I want to be committed to one another. And I want to be committed to Christ working in our marriages. And I applaud you for that. And I applaud the marriages that, that, uh, that God is working on continually for that. I mean, in January, it'll be 12 years that Carrie and I have been married. And, and I tell you, it has not gotten easier, gotten easier. But man, we love each other far more than we did when we said I do. And that the difficulties of marriage caused a deep and loving grace to overflow and abound. We were on vacation just this past week, and I'm going to let a, let a little bit of our junk out here for a minute. We were on vacation. We just went for a three-day uh, camping trip to Fort Wilderness, and, and um, uh, we stopped and got a, some water or something at Publix. And, and there was something that Carrie did that just, it just perturbed me, ticked me off. It wasn't even worth it. Like, it was just me. I was the problem. She was in the right, and I was in the wrong. I'm just telling you right out front. It was me and my attitude. It was bad. On vacation, by the way, kids in the back of the car, get into the car, and then I just bring the issue up, and I want her to see her, her stuff. And she wasn't going to reciprocate with me in the car with the kids. She said, let's talk about this later. No, let's talk about it right now. And the kids are there, and they're listening, and, and then she's like, right, I don't think we should be talking about this, and I just don't let it go. I mean, we're talking about a good 10 minutes where I just want, I just want to fight. I just want to get this out. I want to show her that I'm right and she's wrong, and then at the end of it, our kids are in the back of the car, and they're crying because they know that this is not the way things should be, and, and maybe you've had kids crying, and and, or maybe you've been the one with your parents in tears. And I want to thank God today because He shows us the way things should be. There's an author and pastor, his name is Mike Mason. He said, the best marriages and the deepest relationships with God grow out of a startling self-discovery. That there is nothing one can do to earn love. And even more startling... That there is nothing one can do to unearn it or to keep oneself from being loved. This is a religious awakening that is utterly different from any other religious experience. No matter how profoundly spiritual it may seem, it is the recognition of the true self in this simple discovery that one is loved. So, so coming into the room today, with all your brokenness, with all your hurt, with all your shame, there is a startling self-discovery that has to happen between you and God in this place today. And that is this truth, that one is loved. And there's nothing that you've done to earn it, and there's nothing that you can do to unearn it. Because the marriage covenant between the bride and the bridegroom is not one that is contingent upon earning anything or unearning anything. It's nothing that you could ever lose. It's nothing that can ever leave you. It is that which is never failing. And the Bible gives us a picture of marriage because the Bible wants us to know, God wants us to know through His Word that Christ's commitment to you is not contingent upon your faults and your shortcomings and your sin. But His grace 
transforms us. And so what we see in this passage is so startling. This self-discovery is revealed to us when, when we see the, the king in verses 1 through 9. We just see this picture of the king in his glory and his majesty and his beauty. And then we see the bride that is betrothed to this king in all her loyalty and loveliness and honor in verses 10 through 17. As we see this, I think we should see the perfection of what God not only intends for us today, but what will be. What will be when when the bride is spoken of. This is what God thinks of you. This is what God has destined for you. This is what God will make reality on that great wedding day. When the bride comes before the groom, Jesus Christ, and they are united forever in holy matrimony because of the groom's never-failing love. In verses 1 through 9, we unpack the king's beauty. The king's beauty. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. So the king here is, the, 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 there is, there's a, a scribe that is writing this poem. And he's a bystander watching the king in his glory and the bride in her splendor. And he's absolutely amazed at the beauty that he sees. And his heart is overflowing with love. Just a bystander of watching this ceremony, this man is, is being touched by this, this ceremony of of God's goodness, grace, and glory. And he says, I'm overwhelmed with love. My pen cannot write down the words fast enough. And what does he witness? Well, he witnesses the beauty of the king. And the, the word here is handsome. And that's a word that's been translated. It really means that the king is beautiful. The king is beautiful. And, and what I say in this is, is not in terms of externals, but the internals. The king is beautiful, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. That this king has beauty that's more than skin deep. It goes beneath the surface. And the, the king is, is seen as beautiful beyond comparison, not just because of what he looks like, but because of who he is, because of his essence, because of his goodness. God is good, not because he does good things, because everything that is in him is good. And so goodness flows out of him. The king is beautiful. Not because he merely looks beautiful from the outside in, but because everything that's inside of him, everything that's a part of his nature and his character is of wonderful, lavish beauty. Now, if you're a single gal, you, you want a beautiful bride, a, a beautiful king. If you're a single girl, you, you want a beautiful husband one day if you should desire marriage. And the beauty, though, is not just the externals. The beauty is the purity of heart where you look into the gaze of your future husband and you see that there's righteousness and goodness and that this, the externals are driven by what's inward. And this king displays his beauty through the words of his lips. John 
in the Gospel of John says that his words are filled with grace and truth. Husbands, what are the words that comes from your mouth to your wife and your kids? I pray, I pray that, that unlike me, just last week, on vacation nonetheless, I pray that, that we would walk in repentance and that our words would be so filled with grace and truth. Because our words demonstrate the overflow of our character, the overflow of our heart. And then our words would be filled with that. And then in John 1.16, it says that from His fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. That the fullness of God is overflowing. And, and the words that come from the King's mouth are beautiful because that's what it flows from Him. His beauty shows His strength. He's mighty in majesty and splendor. Everything about Him is admirable. That we can look at this king and say that he's an admirable person in every way that the sword on his thigh shows of his strength and his power. That with his grace comes his command. And that command is a command that we are called to submit to. And that command is something that if we see his beauty, we will lovingly submit to. His beauty is truth, meekness, and righteousness. Qualities that often aren't looked at as admirable today. Truth. We don't want truth. We want what's going to tickle our ears. We want sentimentalism. But truth is what's lovely. Because truth is cleansing us. Drawing us closer to God. Healing us. Confronting those deep and dark places that we don't want exposed. But if we would give Christ the room to bring exposure to Him, we would know that He would heal us. That's what truth does. Meekness. Not looking at others like they're better than, like we're better than them or they're better than us. But looking at everyone at the foot of the cross at ground level. A husband and his wife. He's not to look at her as some second class citizen. He's to look at her with meekness and saying she brings dignity and value to this marriage. And her voice is worth listening to. And there are gifts that God has given her that are meant to fuel the fires of our family and our future. Meekness and righteousness. That we would look at the world with the righteous eyes of Jesus Christ and we would seek to stomp out unrighteousness. Marriage is a ministry. Partnership. Partnership of seeing that which is broken become brand new in Jesus Christ. Your marriage should be a ministry to where you seek the righteousness of Christ and it means you go into those unrighteous places and you bring the gospel that mends that brokenness. Have you seen the beauty of this king? Have you seen the beauty of this king? How do you know if you've seen or if you've truly seen Jesus? How do you know if you've seen this king beautiful? Well, he changes you. He changes you. If you've truly seen the beauty of the king, then your life will be changed. You'll be conformed more into his image. If you just see Jesus Christ as a historical figure on the cross, if you just see Jesus Christ as someone who is a good teacher, then you're not going to see his beauty because his beauty is in his saving power, in his grace that transforms us. And if you would truly see Jesus Christ, then he begins to change everything about your life. Do you know why most of the people leave the faith of Christianity? 
Most of the people leave the faith of Christianity not because they think Jesus is beautiful, but because Jesus becomes not useful to them anymore. Jesus becomes a, a tool for them to get what they want versus a Savior who's beautiful that should be bowed down to. When you truly see Jesus Christ, it's not about what I get if I follow after Him. It's about how He's loved me and how He changes me and how He calls me to worship Him. And then the desires of my heart are, are, are not what I want, but what He wants. And I surrender them to Him. Change. It's the part of the Christian life that... that That if you don't have it, you don't have it. You don't have Christianity if you don't have change. Because change necessarily comes when we see the beauty of this king. When I met Carrie and I said I do to her, it changed my life. In so many ways, I had no idea the ways it would change my life. Man, I take my shoes off before I go in the house every day. I never thought I would do that 15 years ago. I never thought I would do it. But I do it. Because that's what she wants. That's what makes her happy. And I love her. So I'll do that, those little things. And she, she'll bend over backwards for the things that I want. Because we love each other. And so it changes us. And so we look not towards our desires, but their desires. And we seek to align our hearts together so that in this marriage, Jesus Christ is central. The king is powerful. His arrows are sharp. In the hearts of the king's enemies, the people fall under you. Verse 5. When that bow is drawn, the arrows never miss their mark. The king has no enemies that can withstand his power. You, you want a king who will always reign over his enemies. And that's this king. You want a king whom your future is secure with. I mean, isn't that what a, a, a woman looks to when she's seeking a husband? It, Is my future secure with them? Not that they'll ever be Jesus to to them, but that in this person there's something that's dependable, something that I can count on, something that I know will always be there. In Jesus Christ, He is dependable. You can count on them. He will always be there. And He will destroy your enemies. There's nothing that ticks me off more than when my wife is disrespected from someone. It makes me burn inside with anger, Fury. If you're a man and your your wife has been disrespected, you know what I'm talking about. When Jesus' bride, the church, is disrespected, He does the same thing. Even in the midst of the church's many imperfections, Jesus stands ferociously for her. And He will destroy her enemies. He has power for all time. Verse 6. The throne, O your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. This is the verse that's quoted in the book of Hebrews, where Hebrews accounts this verse to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why I can talk about this Christ, the Psalm, and say that this is about Jesus, because the writer of Hebrews says that the throne that rules forever is the throne of Jesus Christ, and He is the one that sits upon it. And He is the Lord that brings redemption through His righteousness. He is the sovereign God, the scepter. His staff is that which brings about His mercy and His power. 
in all places among all times. And he sits on his throne even in the midst of the evil and depravity and the wickedness of this world to bring forth his righteousness. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. This verse means that if you are a part of his church, your security is tied to the certainty of his rule and his reign, which is forever. It means that you don't have to fear tomorrow because you come under the command of the great king. It means that you don't have to worry about the uncertainty of tomorrow's events because he is is king here and now and he's watching everything transpire and everything that's happening is happening in accordance with his will and you're going to be okay in the midst of the difficulties and the darkness. I want certainty in my life. I want to know what tomorrow brings. I want to know the difficulties that are ahead. I want to try to prevent those things. I want to try to be God in my own life. But in reality, what I need to do is bow down to the king who knows everything and who stands in the midst of it, completely independent of all things. There is nothing that is going to change God. He is the unchangeable God. There's no turn of events that are going to throw him off guard. There's nothing that's going to leave him flustered or anxious or sitting on a counselor's chair. He is the one who rules and reigns. And he is absolutely certain in the way the future is going to turn out. And here it says is that the throne of Christ is forever. And church, listen, if his throne is forever and his love for you is never earned or unearned, then it means that your certainty is as certain as Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. It means that you will be with him always, forever. And that your love for him will only grow from here. In verse 7, it tells us that he loves what is good and he hates what is evil. We live in a world that loves what is evil and hates what is good. My kids were singing a song a couple months ago, coming home, and I, I couldn't understand it, uh, what they were saying, so I asked them to repeat themselves, and they, they, were, they were spelling these words out, and the words they were spelling out was wicked, W-I-C-K-E-D. And I'm like, what, what, what is this song that you're singing? And it says, W-I-C-K-E-D, we got all the ways to be wicked. And I'm, where, where is this show that you're watching from? They were, we're watching the Disney Channel, and it's the Descendants. It's the, 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 the characters that are the the sons and daughters of of Maleficent and some of the evil characters. And in some ways, we think that's kind of cute, but man, I do not want my kids singing that evil is good and that good is evil. And so I told them, "You, you can't watch this because I don't want that coming into your life and those lives and those lies shaping their belief system in any way, no matter how sweet and innocent it might sound. It's not good. But Jesus, he, he is the one that is good forever. He is the one who is righteous forever. He is the one whom God is glad in and has anointed with him with oil. 
Because you have a good king who sits on the throne forever. Listen, that's really important for our day and time. In the midst of of the, the various presidents and primes ministers that our world can see, and some might be righteous and some might not, and some might be just and some might not, there is a king who always does good and always does righteous, and that king is not on Air Force One. That king rides on the clouds, and his chariots go before him. Is Jesus, and his goodness will always prevail. In verse 10, we see the bride. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him, and the people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. What this psalm shows us is that the daughter's allegiance, the bride's allegiance, is shifted from her father's house and her heritage to the house and the heritage of the king whom she is now making a commitment of her life to. It means that she is declaring allegiance only to him. I mean, this is the call of the church, that we are to have one Lord. That we're not to bow down to idols. That we're not to give our hearts to any other. And that Jesus would be the one that our hearts live for and long for. And that if we are to give our hearts to anyone or anything else, it's unfaithfulness. It's a call of faithful love. That we would not be an adulterous people as James says it. That we wouldn't say we love God with our mouth but worship something else with our hearts. And that's this bride that she would not... that she would continually declare allegiance to her king in everything that she says and does. It's why for men we should know that, like Job says, that there's a covenant that we make with our eyes that says, I will not look lustfully at another woman because I've made a commitment to her each and every day. And one glance in the wrong direction could steal my heart and lead to death. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. One of the greatest causes for divorce today is unfaithfulness. And what God is calling His church to today is faithfulness, even in the midst of her unfaithfulness. There's no pretense here that the bride or the church is perfect. There's no pretense that the bride or the church sits in a place of complete righteousness. As Jesus says, or as Paul says in Ephesians 5:25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The the beauty of the church comes not because the church is beautiful. Listen, the beauty of the church comes because the love that the king has for her makes her lovely. There's a beautiful thing in marriage. This is is what we have to see in marriage. Marriage has to be beyond skin deep. It has to be much more than meets the eye because we change. Like I said, I don't look like I did on my wedding day. I really don't. And, and if Carrie said to me on that day and, and we signed an agreement that says, you're going to look like this all the time, well, I would be out of a wife right now and a family because I don't look like she hasn't changed a bit. 
But man, me, like I put it on here and I'm losing it here. And man, it's just not the same as it used to be. But you know what makes me lovely in her eyes? Is that there's nothing that I have to do to earn her love. But she graciously gives it even when I don't deserve it. That's what she did with me last week when I blew up and I was just an absolute idiot. That's what God does to us all the time when we turn to lesser things and say we want those things more than him. He makes us lovely with his love. And he washes us with the water of his word. And he changes us and sanctifies us and grows us more completely in him. And this is the love that God has for his church. It's a covenant of love. It's a love that we see in Psalm 45, 16 and 17. In the place of your fathers shall be your sons. And you will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. What what does that verse have to do with marriage? What does that verse have to do with my life and my marriage today? Well, it has less to do with our marriage today and more to do with the marriage of the bridegroom and the bride tomorrow. In that the marriage that this proclaims is a marriage that's not based on a contract but a covenant. Because if there were terms to the contract that were left unmet, then the contract would be null and void. But God made a covenant. And God's covenant says, I love you because I love you. It says, I love you because I love you. Not because you did this, not because you did that, not because you didn't do this or you didn't do that. You see, this would have been really important for a bride to know that her children would rise up in royalty. That her future would be secure. That her place in the world would be a place that's remembered for generations. It was really important that the generation of your name would be continued beyond yourself and that's the promise of Jesus Christ and that's the resilience of his church you see the church has gone through hard times we're going through hard times right now but the church will not be over why because this promise because the promise of God is that the church in her beauty and splendor will remain and throughout all generations This world might look at her with disdain, but eventually they'll look at King Jesus and they'll bow the knee to him and they'll see that the church is a people of honor and dignity and worth and loveliness because the king's love makes us lovely. I have a friend who has probably been married for over 30 years and in his marriage there have been some incredible difficulties His wife was just five or six years ago diagnosed with a mental illness. And she's a completely different person than when she was. You you, you think when you're marrying somebody that this person won't change. Well, you don't know what's going to happen to this person. In sickness and in health is when we say our vows, make those commitments. Well, this woman was diagnosed with a mental illness And she was left to be a different person and they were left to pick up the pieces. I remember talking to her husband and and him just sharing all the reasons why he loved her, even in the midst of this difficulty. And by his love for her, he showed that she's a lovely person. 
and that there is nothing that can separate him from this woman's love. And that's the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things above, nor things below. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because the life of Christ will always endure in his beloved church. Every time I say marriage vows, I quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison in Nazi Germany as an enemy of the state. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was himself betrothed to be married while he was in prison. And as we know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed, and so he never got to realize what marriage on earth would be like. But I think he knew enough about marriage to write this line for a friend's wedding, who because he couldn't do the wedding, someone else would do it, but he wrote the script for the ceremony. And he says... It's not your love that sustains the marriage. But from now on, it's the marriage that sustains the love. In marriage, we need something stronger than love. These feelings of love and loveliness. We need an ending, unwavering commitment that says, because I'm married, I love. How does God love you? Not because he has these warm fuzzies all the time that says, oh, that's so cute. But because God in his covenantal love says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That God through Jesus Christ on the cross says that no matter what you do, it will not get in between of my love for you because I am betrothed to you. I'm married to you. And even should you betray me, My love for you stands and my commitment to you is firm. This is the love that God demonstrates for us on the cross. A love that says you are beautiful because of the beauty of the king on the cross. The king resurrected. The king in all his glory and might. The king who has secured your future for all generations that the church is the bride And she is worthy of honor and dignity because His worth and honor and dignity is upon her. This is the beauty of the Gospel. And when we take communion today, we take communion by taking the bread, dipping in the cup, and receiving the Lord's Supper in that way, reminding ourselves by the Gospel that I'm lovely because He made me lovely. And His grace for me endures And His promise is secure. And I have forgiveness at the foot of the cross. A love that can never be earned. And a love that can never be unearned. Let's pray. God, we thank You. That Your grace is lavish. That Your beauty changes us. God, that we have honor. And dignity and worth and value. And it comes, God, when we are on bowed knee, declaring our allegiance to you. May all lesser loves fade away so that the love of Christ is always on our lips. And like the psalmist started this song, may our lips overflow with the pleasing theme that the King in his beauty is worth everything.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.